In January, AB 218 went into effect, allowing for sexual assault victims to sue on claims formerly barred by statutes of limitations. That means that thousands of individuals who were abused as children are coming forward with allegations. Among the hard-hit youth-based organizations, the Boy Scouts of America. By filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, the organization has put on holds hundreds of lawsuits brought against it. But it's still unclear what this means to the local councils that directly oversee scout troops. That's a crucial question for the San Diego Imperial Council, whose assets include cash reserves and Matagüe, a thousand-acre camping and canoeing reservation in Santa Isabel. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Peter Rowe, you cover a number of things at the Union Tribune. And recently there's news about what's ongoing with the legal issues that the Boy Scouts of America is facing in the wake of a variety of sexual assault survivors coming forward. This is a complicated story, so let's kind of start with the background. How did things get to this point for the Boy Scouts of America? Well, what happened was uh, January 1st, a new California law went into effect that allowed people to It opened up a three-year window for people to file these sexual abuse lawsuits and to kind of ignore the old statute of limitations. So there may have been, you know, a 10-year statute of limitations after the alleged crime. But in this particular case, I mean, starting January 1st, um, that didn't apply. So you, you had three years starting January 1 in order to file new lawsuits, and new lawsuits have been filed. Mm -hmm. And a number of these are in San Diego County as well, right? Yes, there are over a dozen uh, in San Diego County. There are roughly 2,700 plaintiffs at this point, people who've come forward and said that they were victims of sexual abuse by scoutmasters or assistant scoutmasters or uh, cooks working in scout camps, Mm -hmm. other scout employees. Certainly in the past couple years, following the Me Too movement, there is a more open and frank discussion about sexual assault. And now that this is part of the national conversation, it makes sense that with this change, all of these formerly hidden allegations would come forward. That's true. I mean, there has been a change, I think, in how society looks at these things. At the same time, you've had law firms advertising uh, over the last year. They, they knew that the new law was going to take effect, and they advertised uh, and continue to advertise. You see it on television. You see it in the newspaper. Uh, say, hey, um, if you were a victim, uh, now is the time to come forward. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense for many of these people who have been through this. This is a a means to possibly obtain catharsis. Yes. Also, uh, experts will tell you that sexual assault victims often will not come forward within these relatively short um, statutes of limitations, right? Mm -hmm. That, That it takes them years to kind of process this. So... There was a press conference today in which a a victim uh, came forward. He's 58, and this happened when he was 11. Uh, And he said he never spoke about it to anyone, but about eight years ago, he contacted a San Diego lawyer, Erwin Zalkin, and said, what can I do? You know, I would really like for this guy 
uh, to pay a price, and I would like him to go to jail, and I want to make sure that no other kids are being abused by him. And at that time, Zalkin said, there's nothing you can do. The statute of limitations is long gone. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do. He did take his name and his phone number. And so he got back in touch with him late last year and told him, listen, you know, the California legislature has acted and it looks like there will be a window opening as of January 1st. He was speaking to us today mm-hmm. because it looks like that window might be closing sooner than he thought. Mm-hmm. And what's the reason why? Well, what's happening is uh, the Boy Scouts of America earlier this week uh, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And part of that means that they have to kind of disclose all of their assets, all of their liabilities. But at the same time, they're protected from lawsuits as they go forward. And so what happens is, is that there will be, probably in two weeks, there will be a committee of creditors that will be appointed, and they will look at the scouts' books. Then they would also set what's called a bar date. Mm-hmm. And the bar date is the date at which all of the lawsuits against this entity have to be filed. Mm-hmm. Chances are the bar date will be sometime this year. So rather than having three years, it looks like these victims will have fewer or less than one year to sue the Boy Scouts of America, the national organization. And that's a key distinction to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this law only applies to California, right? Right. The The California legislature law, of course, only, only applies to California. What's going on now in bankruptcy court, that's a federal action. So that will that will cover the entire country mm-hmm. and it will supersede California law. But at the same time, there's confusion. There's no clarity right now whether the bankruptcy proceeding will also take into account these local councils. For instance, the San Diego Imperial Council, which oversees all of the the Boy Scout troops in San Diego and Imperial counties. Mm-hmm. So when are we going to get some clarity as to kind of how this affects the hierarchy of the Boy Scouts? Because I can imagine in each lawsuit, it's possible one could be against the massive organization. One could be about a local council. It can vary. Yeah, just about all the lawsuits are filed at everyone. (laughs) There's a long list of people that they're suing. Mm -hmm. It begins with uh, Boy Scouts of America, the national organization. Then it goes rather quickly down to the council, right? So it's unclear whether what's taking place now in federal court, in the bankruptcy court, whether that will take care of these lawsuits that are filed also against the councils. In San Diego Imperial's case, that's a significant, it's a, it's a you know, 80, well, I was going to say $80,000 question, but it's much more than that because this council has significant assets. It has quite large cash reserves. It also mm-hmm. has a 1,000-acre kind of scouting reservation out in Santa Isabel that it owns free and clear. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, those could, you know, if things go against the Boy Scouts, ultimately be sold, right? 
be sold or perhaps uh, they would take a loan out on it, um, it's possible that they'd still be able to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. And for the sexual assault survivors that are coming forward, have you spoken to any of their lawyers? Because I imagine suing after such a long amount of time presents your own legal challenges for winning a case. Well, it does. Now, you say suing uh, after such a long period of time. And in fact, the range of these uh, clients is it's enormous. Um, I talked to Andrew Van Arsdale, who's a San Diego lawyer. Uh, he said uh, the clients that he's representing range in age from 92 to about eight. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, it's, it's all over the board. Now, there are roughly 100 of them that are 40 or younger. Um, most of them are adults in middle age or even older who haven't been able to shake you know, what happened to them as, as a child. So as with any large organization, there's always bad apples. What is the Boy Scouts of America doing to you know, not lose the tradition of scouting and kind of prevent this from happening again? Yes, well, actually, uh, Boy Scouts of America, the national organization, implemented a series of steps to kind of prevent as much as they can, you know, these sorts of crimes. So anyone who is going to be a volunteer in Boy Scouts of America has to go through an FBI background check. It's fairly extensive. And then anyone who is going to be with scouts, say, on a trip, a camping trip, canoeing, whatever, uh, they have to take a course about how to uh, protect the boys uh, from anything happening and also how to guard against any impressions, you know, mm -hmm. that there's something fishy going on. Uh, Boy Scout leaders are forbidden from contacting uh, individual scouts one-on-one -on -one. Uh, they can't be sending direct email to them. Uh, they always have to have another adult in a room when they're meeting, you know, if they're meeting in a room with a scout. Um, so there are a lot of regulations that have been put into place. Years and years ago, I was a scout in Encinitas with Troop 777, and my scoutmaster a man by the name of Jack Felance, one of his sons, Mark Felance, grew up to become the head of the local, the, the board for the local San Diego Imperial Council. I spoke with him earlier today and he said he's sick. He's just sick by these stories of people who've been abused by scouts. It's an awful thing. He said, we've taken a big hit, deservedly so, uh, and we're doing what we can to prevent this from happening again. At the same time, he wanted to stress that scouts continue to um, provide a lot of great experiences for young boys and also now young girls. Mm -hmm. uh, Boy Scouts of America includes girls now. Um, and, and he wanted to make sure that wasn't overlooked. Um, this is tough to do, right? Whenever there's a scandal, you know, that kind of balancing act to say, yeah, I mean, this is terrible. This is terrible what happened to Mike Hernandez, the fellow who was at the press conference today. It's inexcusable. Um, but at the same time, you have to say, well, you know, there are thousands and thousands of boys out there who are benefiting from the organization. So how you strike that balance, I think, 
is going to be really important going ahead. Mm-hmm. And it's always awkward right after, you know, a controversy or a scandal, like the steps needed to take your organization and make those needed changes. It's it, it can be easy just to, you know, be those people online that just want to cancel everything and destroy it all. But if you can make a change, you ought to. And it seems that Boy Scouts is making the steps to having a more safe organization for all of the children that are a part of it. They are, and yet, I mean, you see certain parallels in the Boy Scouts situation with the Catholic Church. And in both cases, there were years, years of cover-ups, years of making excuses, years of not admitting what was going on. It looks like maybe in both organizations they've gotten past that. Mm -hmm. They've taken their lumps. They've been humiliated and embarrassed, and they've lost a lot of a lot of you know backers, a lot of believers, as it were, right? Um, and and new leadership has come forward and said, you know, we're we're going to stop this. So so we'll see how this plays out. One of the things that's unclear in bankruptcy court is whether the Boy Scouts of America, the national organization, will release these internal files, which were called the ineligible volunteer files. They were also nicknamed the perversion files. These were records kept of individual scout volunteers who had abused kids. Mm -hmm. And when will we get an answer as to whether or not those files will be released? Well, the the case is going forward in um, a federal bankruptcy court in Delaware. Uh, The next hearing is in two weeks. This will be a a drawn-out um, kind of process that'll take probably anywhere from six months to a year, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll see what happens next. All right, Peter Rowe, thank you so much. Thank you. In other news, one of San Diego's senior administrators is leaving City Hall in the wake of two high-profile missteps that have resulted in legal claims against the city. Ronald Villa, who spent 34 years rising through the ranks and became assistant chief operating officer, will leave the city on June 30th. The personnel change comes as Mayor Kevin Falconer continues to grapple with asbestos issues inside two buildings leased by the city. Villa, who this year was being paid $229,424 plus benefits, was a key decision maker in both cases. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. With spring training beginning soon, the UT's Padres podcast returns for its third season. Listen to UT Sports Editor Jay Posner and Padres beat writer Kevin Acey discuss the preseason. For a full listing of our audio offerings, go to unionship.com slash podcasts. Until next time.